The reading this evening is taken from Colossians chapter 4, beginning at verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Well, thank you so much again. Uh, Joy to be with you. Can I bring to you the greetings of the church where I serve and live in Bedford, Grace Community Church. It's lovely having Ken with us a little while ago, and uh, it's lovely to come and see your situation here in, uh, in Benwell. Well, if you have a Bible, please do keep that uh, passage open. We're going to look at that this evening. And, uh, and like uh, many preachers who, who do a kind of bish, bash, bosh, one, two, three, three points to a sermon, we've got two things to remember tonight and two very simple lessons when you, when you first read this, you, it says further instructions and then final greetings. And, and you kind of feel as if, well, was Paul running out of ideas and there's a bit of a papyrus scroll and he just filled it in with random ideas, further instructions. No, it, it isn't that. It's answering a really, really fundamental question. It is how is your church going to reach outsiders and how can you be involved? He's been thinking about multiple relationships. He starts in chapter 3, verse 1, with your relationship with Christ. If you're a Christian, you've been raised with Christ, and your heart is now set on heaven. And he has some instructions about how that relationship can, can work well. And then as he, he thinks about you in Christ, uh, verse 8, he He says, now you must put to death, put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. And then he flips, now do not lie to one another. He immediately goes from you and Christ and what goes on inside of you to you and other Christians. And from verse 9 onwards, really down to verse 17, it's you and other Christians. How the church can function well and be full of the Holy Spirit. Lots of one another's. And then he thinks about you at home. So he talks to wives and husbands and children and parents, especially uh, fathers. My son's favorite verse, Dad, don't provoke your children, they used to say to me on a fairly regular basis. Uh, But you at home. And then he thinks about you at work. And he says, what's the worst job you could be? A slave. All right, here's what Jesus wants to say to slaves. And then masters. And then he thinks of this, as it were, this final ring. You and Christ, you and Christians, you at home, you at work, you and outsiders. This is not just random ideas to fill up a bit of space. Here's a carefully reasoned, carefully logically ordered series of instructions and commands and and advice and principles to Christians to live in all these spheres of life. You and Christ, you and Christians, you at home, you at work, you and outsiders. And so this whole section really is about you and outsiders. 
And two things he's going to say very simply is this. Speak to God for people and then speak to people for God. That's the emphasis. He's going to start with speak to God for people. Continually, continue steadfastly in prayer or as another translation puts it, devote yourselves to prayer. And he's going to say underneath that heading, pray for preachers and pray for preaching. But the theme is devote yourselves to prayer. Speak to God for outsiders. And then from verse 5 and 6, he's then going to look at how you can speak to people for God. So it's a very simple two-point sermon. But they're two very big ideas. So let's dive in. And notice where he starts. He's not primarily, he doesn't start with how you can become a better evangelist. Or how you can learn to answer all people's questions. Or how you can change from an introvert to an extrovert. How you can become a, a, a sort of a salesperson for the Christian mission. No, it doesn't start there at all. He says, if your church wants to reach outsiders, people who live in Benwell, and if you want to see people become Christian believers, and if, if you want to be part of that, as it were, rescue mission lifeboat crew it starts with you speaking to God for people so the the emphasis here is not so much on prayer in general he's not talking about prayer in general he's he's thinking specifically about praying for outsiders he wants to devote yourselves to prayer or here continue steadfastly in prayer not being superior Being watchful of your own life so you don't become arrogant and proud and look down on people. You can't pray for people with heart if you look down on them and despise them. No, you ought to be thankful. You think, God has forgiven me all my sins. I I am so grateful for being a forgiven person. I'm so grateful for being given a new life. How can I not want others to know what I know? That's the kind of context here. Here's the thing. If you're a Christian, you will pray. It's like, does a baby cry? Well, if they're alive, they cry. If you're a Christian, you will pray. The emphasis here is not so much that he wants you to pray. It's that he wants you to devote yourselves to prayer. That that continues steadfastly is a passion word. It's not a technique you've got to learn. It's not certain words that you've got to memorize. It's not even saying how many, how many minutes or hours do I have to put in to sort of tick the box. It's something that becomes a passion. I can't help it. I must pray for people who are not yet praying for themselves. Let me give you an example of this. If you, in your Bible, turn back to Romans chapter 8, where Paul writes to these Christians in Rome and he's explaining the Christian gospel to them. That's page 945. Now, this is a magnificent passage. And it it reaches, in one sense, a great crescendo. What can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord? In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present 
nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we all go, Amen, Alleluia. It's a fantastic climax to his argument. The Christian gospel is not just for now. It's forever. And nothing now can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a fantastic passage, isn't it? I remember this passage being preached by one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century. There's a man called Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He had an incredibly fruitful ministry in London. And, and you just stood in awe at the end of this. You're just humbled by it and just totally amazed that God loves me and he loves me forever. Now what happens well, most preachers, they preach eventually through the book of Romans. But when they get to the end of chapter 8, I think it's a time for a break, you know. We've, we've gone through some big things, some great things. We've ended on this climate. And Romans, after all, 9, 10, and 11, you know, is pretty difficult. We'll come back to that in a few months' time. When you've had a bit of a break and I've got my breath back and I've cleared my head. So that once we start in this really difficult bit, well, at least it'll feel fresh again. I, I don't know how you even read the Bible. My Bible reading scheme is read the Bible every three years. I learned it at university. I've followed it ever since. And it ends at the end of chapter 8. And tomorrow morning, it's a new bit. We start on chapter 9 tomorrow. But you know what the problem is with that? Preachers who stop at chapter 8, because the book, after all, is 16 chapters halfway through. Let's stop at a good bit where everybody's going, yes, let's stop there for a while before the kind of brain-numbing bit. What is the problem with that? is that you miss the emotional connection between the end of chapter 8 and the beginning of chapter 9. You have just, you've just been gripped that nothing can separate me now from the love of God in Christ Jesus my Lord. That's God's saving plan for me. That is amazing. Well, what is the next emotional reaction? Well, it hits you like a train when you see it. If you don't stop at the end of chapter 8 but keep reading, what do you find? This is the next note. I am thanking God that I am eternally safe. I am forgiven all the evil that would have sent me to, to, to under God's wrath, to hell forever. What does I now say? I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Do you, you, you feel that? I am safe in God's love. And the very next thought in my mind and the next heartbeat is, but what about those I love who aren't? And I can't get them out of my... Even as I'm thanking God for my salvation, I'm thinking of those of my own flesh and blood who are not yet saved. I'm safe, but they're not. And how do I feel about that? I have unceasing anguish. I have overwhelming sorrow. It breaks my heart. I can't get them out of my head. Every time I thank God for my salvation, I'm thinking of those who are not yet in his kingdom. Now look, Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 is going to be some of the highest, most exalted teaching on God being in control, ultimately of people's destiny. God is, God is sovereign over that. He, 
That, that's, that's what he's going to teach. But that does not conflict with two things. It doesn't conflict with a broken heart for people who are not saved. And it doesn't conflict with praying to God that they may be saved. What does Paul do with that broken heart, with that unceasing anguish, that great sorrow? Well, he tells us in chapter 10, verse 1, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. He's fully aware that God is in control. God is sovereign. But he says, I still have a broken heart and I pray they might be saved. Now, do you feel something of that passion? Can I put it bluntly? Have you ever felt that kind of passion? Have you ever almost said, I, I, Father, I, I don't know how to say this, but I can't imagine my wife not being forgiven. Can't imagine my sister, my mum, my son, my grandson. I can't imagine my colleague who I've worked alongside for the last 25 years, who's told me some of the tragedies and problems of his life. Father, he's not yet forgiven. And I am. And it's not because I'm any better than him. I'm a wretch. We sing it, don't we? Amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. I'm a wretch. I was once blind but now I can see I was once lost but I'm now found and if you can do it for me surely father you can do it for him please would you do it for him father my prayer my heart's desire and prayer to God for my own flesh and blood is they may be saved that's what he's talking about here in Colossians continue steadfastly it's a little bit oldy English, and it kind of has that slight feel. Come on, man up, keep going. It, it, it feels like a telling off word. Stick at your homework, get it done tonight. You know that? Come on. It, 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 it kind of feels a little bit like being, it's not that at all. It's more than saying, let this touch your heart. Let it be a passion. Let the love of God break your heart for people who are not yet saved. Uh, last night on the telly, just before match of the day, there was, uh, there was, um, uh, there was a sort of thing about a water aid and you know, how, how heartbreaking it is. And the person telling the story was the cameraman who filmed these poor people who've got no water. And he was almost, he couldn't almost talk. It was almost sobbing. He said, look, if you could film, if you filmed what I filmed, you would give. Because, you know, it is heartbreaking to see this. So please, would you be generous? Because I know you can't see what I see with my own eyes. I'm just the cameraman of what you've seen. But if you could only see what I see with my camera. Well, Paul is saying something like that here. Look around you. What can you see? I see lost people, Father. So, if you want those lost people, if outsiders ever become insiders, where does it start? It starts with you clearing the deck and saying, darling, why don't we just stop for an hour and just pray for people we love? I mean, we know hundreds of them, don't we? Don't you know hundreds of people? Some of them you only know by their face, your postman, the, the, the checkout person in... in in uh, Lidl, uh, the, 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 the faces at the school gate, 
the guy who works down in the bottom office. You, you may just know their face, but you know their face. I play hockey fairly badly, but we won 4 0 yes, that's great. But, but you know, I sometimes say to myself, I, I, I talk to my mates, they're all about my age and older. I think, do you know what? I think I may be the only Christian on the planet that knows these men's names. I might be. None of them ever said, oh, I've got a Christian in my family, or I know a Christian. Or None of them ever said that. I've been playing with them for 20 years. I, I sometimes think, Father, I might be the only Christian on the planet. So I go to my hunger and say, please play for my mates, will you? Because otherwise it's just my prayers praying for these lost guys. And when you're in your mid-60s or early 70s, you know you haven't got... There's more behind than coming ahead. We're not going to live to 140. Please pray for them. Because if they only knew how lost they were, they would say, please pray for me, wouldn't they? Wouldn't they? If they knew what was coming. And you do. So please pray. They're not yet praying for themselves. Would you stand in the gap and pray for them as if you were them? That's what he's talking about here, you see. It's not a a prayer technique. It's not, oh, just put more hours in. God is not a slot machine, you know. If enough of us gang up and put enough, you know, pennies in, somehow one of us will one day win the jackpot. It's not like that, is it? He's our father. But he loves us to tell him what's on our hearts, just like you do with your kids. Mommy, daddy, this is really important to me. Tell me about it, darling. Tell me about it. If your church wants to see outsiders one, it starts with you telling God about people you love and telling him in your own words, simply and sometimes with tears in your eyes, that you would love them to become Christians. Devote yourselves to prayer. Continue steadfastly in prayer. It's not a telling off word. It's a phenomenally releasing thing, isn't it? You can tell God about people you love. And what we do at home group regularly in our church is let's tell one another about people we love to bits. So it's not just you praying. You're not the only Christian on the planet praying for. That that your home group at least is praying for. Your boss, your secretary, the person you work with, the person you live near, your relatives. And you know, there is nothing like it, isn't it, when you see God answer prayers like that. One of my friends, Chris, he's one of the co-elders in the church with me. He was saved roughly about the same time as I was. His mum became a Christian. And I was a bit embarrassed to ask her how old she was. And then she had her 80th birthday about two years later. And I figured, my goodness, Pat was 78. Chris had been praying for his mum for 35 years. I tell you, you could hear the Alleluia from Newcastle when his mum was, when she went pub, when she was baptized as a Christian believer in, her, in a 78-year-old. And now she wants to bring her, her husband, Peter, who's now 90. Wouldn't it be amazing if Peter became a Christian when he was 90? So we're praying for Peter. Well, you know, you'll have the same. And that's what this, that's where it starts, you see. It's not about Ken and Ben introducing you to some new evangelistic course. It's just simply saying, Christians, we talk to God, don't we? 
let's make sure we talk to God about people who don't pray for themselves. One of my friends once said to me, he said, Ray, have you ever been to church where they have like an open time of prayer? You know, people can pray about anything they like. And you're hearing them pray and you, and you, and you say, now, he said, Ray, listen to what people pray for. And he says, it's a bit sobering, isn't it? Because, you know, we pray about work and we pray about health and we pray about finances. But left to ourselves, how many of us spontaneously and easily and naturally pray for people who are not praying for themselves. And if you add up all the church time, what, how much time do we sing? How much time do we pray? How much time do we drink coffee? And of the time we pray, how much of our prayers are praying for lost people to be saved? And you go, actually not very much. Maybe even your own personal prayers. You go, I don't know, you know, really, Ray? And I, I worry that the Christian church in Britain is often lacking spiritual effectiveness, often lacking joy, lacking a sense that God is at work. And I just wonder sometimes, is it because we don't clear the deck and get on our own with God or get on our own with our spouse and just say, Let's talk to God about people we love. That's where he starts. That's the emphasis. Speak to God for people. And then he says, as it were, and pray for preachers and pray for preaching. Pray that God may open a door to the word. Pray for preachers to have opportunities to speak about Jesus. Easter is an opportunity for Ken and Ben. You've heard of several things at Easter where somebody's going to hear about Jesus. Pray for those kind of opportunities. It might be a school assembly. It might be a few mates at work. It might be running an explore course for people, your friends who've asked some questions. Whatever we, we don't want preachers, if I can put it like this, to be imprisoned only in church. We want God to give preachers opportunity. It might be a one-to-one. We said this morning about a preacher imprisoned who had a, a guard on the right and a guard on the left who used that opportunity. Who knows what opportunities God may provide. But pray that preachers might have opportunity, open doors. And pray that when they speak, that they would speak clearly. Now, now, when he says, I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak, I don't think Paul is saying, you know, I'm a bit of a muddlehead, and I go all over the place, and please, please pray that God would keep me to the point. No, no Paul, is, Paul is a great brain. He's got a, he's got a mind the size of a beach ball. You know, he, he, he knows, what, he is clear and, lo- now I think when he means clear, I think he means two things. He means this, please Help me to be faithful even when it's uncomfortable to my hearers. The Christian gospel will always, as it were, if it, if it lands, it's going to tread on somebody's corn. To be said that we are all rebels, that our natural reaction to God is one of hostility. We see him as an enemy. You say that and be, oh, I don't like doing told I'm a rebel. I'm not a rebel. Don't, how you dare? And Paul says, look, I've got to tell you, like a good doctor... It's no good me saying, do you know what? Let me prescribe you a cream. 
for that sore arm when you know full well that that sore arm is indicative of a heart attack on its way. That would be awful, wouldn't it? I, I didn't want to upset my patient, so I sent them with some cream. Oh, they died of a heart attack three hours later. Yeah, I thought they were having a heart attack, but I didn't want to upset them. No, he says, when he says, please, please help me to speak clearly, please help me to say things that are not going to be easy to hear for my audience. Help me not to be afraid. But the second thing I think he means is this. Please pray that when I speak, God would make it clear to my hearers. I remember the story once of a, a, a police officer. He said, um, my wife, my, mother's, my mother-in-law became a Christian. I thought, uh-oh, my mother-in-law's become a Christian. And then he said, my wife became a Christian. And they kind of ganged up on me. And much to my, I don't want to go, I don't, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to go, but I, because it was the mother-in-law and the wife. I went, I went to a Christian meeting and he said, you know what? When the speaker began to speak, it was like my head was in a vice. It was as if he was speaking just to me. As he explained that Jesus was God's son who died for rebels on the cross, I thought, that's me, I, I need him. When Paul says, please pray that I might, speak with clarity as I ought. He's saying, please may God make it clear. I can preach Christ crucified, but only God can open blind eyes. We preachers are pretty powerless creatures, really. I've met several doctors amongst you here, and my daughter's a doctor, and she, she once worked at Bedford Hospital, and there's a room in Bedford Hospital, it's called the mortuary. And you know what a doctor can do in a mortuary? sign a death certificate that's it it's all a doctor can do in a mortuary you imagine saying to a doctor you go down to the mortuary raise a few dead people to life again please that would be great you go what are you you're mad they're dead I can't and God sends vulnerable weak guys like me and Ken and Ben and says go and tell them about Jesus we say but Lord they are dead in sins and trespasses. There is no one that seeks God. No, not even one. That's what your word says, Lord. No one wants you. No one seeks you. No one wants to know. How can they? I've got to do a resurrection miracle. You can't, but I can. But here's the thing. As you preach Christ, I will open blind eyes. I will raise dead people. I will make people realize that I am the living God. I'm speaking directly to them I know you can't do that, but I can. You've got to trust me. Now, if you were a doctor sent to a mortuary to raise the dead, you'd say, please pray for me. Well, that's exactly what's happening to Ken and Ben and others of you when you speak about Jesus. You say, Father, unless you open blind eyes, they're still going to be blind. I think that's what Paul means here. Please pray. Do you realize how weak I am? The message is powerful. But if you understood how deathly helpless the people are you would pray for your preachers more than you do it would be like sending a soldier into action with a big target roundel and no weaponry please pray for me he says but then he changes tack having said speak to God for people with a tremendous amount of heartfelt passion He then says, now speak to people for God. Then what comes next is really very remarkable, isn't it? What would you expect after all that 
come on. These people desperately need Jesus. They're in a raging sea. And, you know, they've got to hear about Jesus. And you're like, now, come on. Many Christians at this point feel a little bit like people did on the 1st of July in 1916 at 7.30 in the morning. The whistle blew and 100,000 men went over the top. 20,000 of them died that day, most of them in the first hour. It was the first day of the Battle of the Somme. They were leaving their place of safety, going into action and taking phenomenal casualties. Many Christians feel that that's what evangelism is like. You know, we've had this sermon on a Sunday evening and it's all like, come on, we've got to tell people about Jesus. Okay, I'll try. Tomorrow morning, at the school gate, I'll find my victim and say, you know, I've got to tell you about Jesus or else. No, that's not what he says. What does he say? Be wise. Be wise. Walk in wisdom. Christianity is not fanaticism. We can be wise. What what a relief. You can be who you are. You don't have to force this. You don't have to push it. You don't have to somehow become a nutcase who's going to buttonhole somebody. Whether you like it or not, we are not. You know how the French used to do uh, 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 pâté? They used to get a goose and shove a thing down its throat and then they used to wheel the corn in, you know, they used to grind it down. And that's how they used to make these livers grow. We are not doing that. Okay, we're not finding somebody, whether you like it or not, you're going to get Jesus now for three hours. That's not. Be wise. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. That is so unexpected, isn't it? But isn't that how you were one? What brought you to Christ was not some fanatic who forced Jesus down your throat. But it may be a mum and a dad who prayed for you and talked to you about Jesus naturally. A friend at work. For me, it was a schoolmate, John. I didn't even know he was a Christian. I didn't even know what a Christian was. But very kindly and thoughtfully and patiently, we got in a conversation and he just very gently said, Ray, would you want to read a bit more about this? I said, yeah, I don't mind. Thanks. I like reading. And God saved me through the reading of a book that this friend gave me. You can walk wisely. You don't have to force it. You don't have to be other than you are. And this is within our reach, isn't it? God is not looking for the, you know, the best of the best of the best. He's just looking for you to say, Father, here I am. Please use me as I am. Use me as I am psychologically. Use me in my circumstances. Use me in my stage of life. Use me with a circle of people I know and love. Here I am. Walk wisely. But then notice else what he says, making the best use of the time or making the most of every opportunity. And the little phrase here in the original Greek is taken from the marketplace, the agora. And he's saying, look, walking wisely is not the same as walking cowardly. You'll know that many a time God opens a conversation and at that split second you have the opportunity to take a cowardly way out or a courageous way in. And so easily we know we take the cowardly way out. God has given you an opportunity. 
Take the opportunity. As it were, haul up the sail. You never know where the Holy Spirit will blow the conversation. It, it may just simply be someone says to you, you know, I talked to a mate last week, uh, Pete, Pete's house, Helen. Oh, she's not very well, Ray. And I said to him, oh, Pete, tell me more. She's got pan- pancreas problems. I, I know from my little background, it's like, oh, that, that could be quite serious. Oh, So I saw him yesterday, and I, I told him, Jenny and I will pray for you and pray for Helen. And he saw me yesterday. How, Helen? It's okay. It's, it, it wasn't what we feared. And, and I said, well, oh, great. And he said, thank you for praying for me. Now, I could have just sh- shut up and thought, oh, no, no, I don't want to embarrass him. I won't tell him. But simple things like that. It doesn't have to be heroic. It just can be simple. Sometimes God puts it right on a plate, doesn't he? And even then I mess it up. I was at a, a conference um, I don't know, about two years ago, three years ago, just before the beginning of lockdown. And uh, I, I'd been speaking to a church about how to reach outsiders all weekend. And, and afterwards, we were in my home little village down in South Devon where I was born called Newton Ferris. And we went on to a little favorite beach. It was October time. And we were sitting out on this rock and we we're just admiring the scenery. And a guy came by and he was fishing. And he says, oh, what are you doing down here? And I, and, and I said, oh, I just, it's my home village and just, you know, visiting it for old time's sake. And he said, oh, all right. And then and, and he was like where, where you are over there. Uh, he, he was about 15 yards away from him. And Jenny was kind of roughly where Ken is. And, and he's over there and he says, oh, right. And Jenny looks at me, like, tell him. And I'm like, oh. And she, said, and she turned around and said, well, actually, he's a, he's a Christian minister. And, he's, and we're on, we've just been on a conference and he's telling people about Jesus. And he says to me, so you're a fisher of men. And I go, yeah, yeah. And off he went. And Jenny, how could you do that? I mean, that's on a plate, isn't it? You're a fisher of men. I was like, oh, I'm so useless at this. Well, anyway, an hour later, he came back. And as he walked by, he said, so you're a fisher of men. And I thought, right, Lord, I've got it. I've got it. <laughs> I can't blow it the second time. She said, I'm glad you didn't. Like, how could you be? So we talked, and we had about a 45-minute conversation. Turns out his mother was a Methodist, and he'd turned away from God when he was young. And we just had this kind of, like, I don't know, could God use that? I don't know. But, but I can tell you, I easily take the cowardly way in. Sorry, the cow, easily. comes naturally to me. But isn't it exciting when you say, Father, I will trust you with this conversation. And here's the thing. On market day, you can do it. So in Bedford, if you want to go for the bargains, when do you go? You go when the market traders are getting twitchy. About half an hour before the market closes. And they've still got those boxes of oranges. Now in the morning, it was 50p an orange. Now they'll almost pay you to take the box away. A wise buyer of oranges knows how to buy the bargains and we can do that can't we some of you go on ebay you get some great bargains some of you get great bargains for your holidays oh i got a cruise at a reduced price some of you have nominal we got a bargain getting a train fare we can do it you see and paul says the energy and imagination and skill and commitment you use to get the bargains of the things you love use that when I give you opportunities to speak about Jesus and I must say every now and then he gives me an opportunity and it is so exciting to see how he can use pathetic words from somebody like me and touch somebody's life make the most of every opportunity don't take a cowardly way out 
But then notice what he says. Having said about that, he then says, let's look at what you say, verse 6. And when he first says it, it's, it's surprising. Again, let your speech always be gracious. Firstly, he doesn't say what you say. He talks about how you say it. Because you know this. If you speak brusquely with a kind of superiority and arrogance, you are not going to be, you're not going to win anybody to Christ. What he's saying is this. They are going to say a lot of rubbish towards you. Don't return rubbish back. You know what a difference it makes. If I say to my wife, I love you, she has not heard that, has she? She has just heard she's being told off. I've got a Spanish friend. He says it like this, I love you. Now, I can't compete with that, you know? I mean, you imagine saying that to a room full of people, I love you. But you know your love, don't you, when someone speaks like that? How you speak is so important. So he says, be gracious in how you speak. Don't be touchy. Don't be judgmental. Don't correct people. Don't always win the battle and lose the war. There's times when you patiently listen to somebody's story. And you don't correct them on every lifestyle issue that they raise. They may just be testing out, can I trust you with something very personal? And if you come back fighting, you know that's wrong. They're probably not going to tell you much. So be gracious, be kind, be patient, be forbearing, be loving. How you speak matters massively. And then he says, seasoned with salt. Being gracious is not be a doormat and let people walk over you. Seasoned with salt, say something worthwhile. You know what salt does. It flavors something. It preserves and it flavors. For me, crisps are a staple part of my diet. But Walker's cheese and onion, they're the business. They are so yummy, scrumptious, I can't put them. You will have something else, I know. Poor old you. Let me tell you. Walker's cheese and onion, fantastic. But you know the difference, don't you, between something bland and something worth savoring. So don't be bland. Don't be bland. Say something worth and they may even say oh, oh thanks can we talk about this again sometime it never goes far wrong if you say can I pray for you and it never goes far wrong if you can say something about Jesus and how he is such a wonderful person and I'd love you to come to know him as I know him Some, those two things rarely don't land and when he then says, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person, he's not saying you need a good answer to every issue they raise. He's simply saying this, if you are wise but bold and kind and say something worth saying, you've answered everybody. That's the answer. And then he says, what comes next? Well, not in the original manuscript but in our language. It's right. There's a full stop. That's it. That's it. If your church wants to reach outsiders, speak to God for them. And when God gives you opportunities, take it and leave the results with him. 
I mean, that is a relief, isn't it? That is within the reach of each and every Christian in this place. And if we took that into our lives, wouldn't it be amazing what God might do? That's what Paul is saying to this little church. He'd never met. He says, here's my advice. Here's what God wants you to know about reaching outsiders. And when you've taken those two things seriously, you can trust God for the results. When I came across this, I think, Father in heaven, that is so helpful. Because I can see me there. I, I can see how that's within. I, could, I can talk to you more than I do. And, and if you give me opportunities, I've got people I love. And please give me the grace and the wisdom and the courage to speak. And over the years, he has. And, and in the kindness of God in our church, people have become Christians. Because as a church, we've taken this a bit more seriously than we used to. Wouldn't it be amazing in your next seven years if you said, you know, Ray, I did clear the deck a bit more often in my own personal life. I did get a bit more serious with God about praying for people who are not yet praying to him for themselves. And we did as a church. And we began to look for God at work in the lives of outsiders. And now those outsiders are insiders. What a joy to see that happen in our lifetime. Well, can I commend to you a very simple two-point sermon. Speak to God for people and speak to people for God.